Uh, today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Yay! Go, go Spirit! Uh, so uh, we're in the middle of a series called Shift, and we've been looking, I just want to remind you where we've been if you're new with us. We're, we're talking about the ways we do church that uh, are different, that we really don't want to go back to the way we've done them before. And some of those things are, are in this list of things. That, uh, one is um, a bigger gospel, that we want to know that um, God's gospel is pretty big. It, it, it just means more than just what I do when I die. And it doesn't just, believing in God doesn't just get me to heaven. It's more about what God brings here and now. Um, it's, it's, it's a gospel that changes the here and now, that God's kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. The second thing, um, a couple of slides down maybe, um, is, is this, um, this sense of not just a bigger gospel, but reading scripture differently. Um, many of us have maybe been taught like, heard a preacher say something like, well, the Bible says it, that settles it, right? Like this kind of attitude of, I stand on the word of God, like this sense of the Bible is this um, very clear and manual for life. And we kind of talked about how it's not always that clear. It can be very confusing. It can be ambiguous. And it's a very old book. However, um, we can understand the Bible when we look to Jesus as our kind of um, um, lens to read the scriptures that we talked about how Jesus always looks like God. And when we're confused with the scripture, we can look to Jesus and he gives us a picture of how to understand a lot of the Bible. Um, and then last week, we talked about a new relationship with power. So we talked about peacemaking, that peacemaking is, implies there's conflict in the world, as we all know. Um, we've seen the tragedies of, of our, our living in two countries right now, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> so there's a sign outside Manhattan that I think when you, when you drive out of Manhattan, it says goodbye, you've, you know, or you've entered America. You know, it's like there's two, two places. We live in two countries. I think you know what I'm talking about, just this sense of ideologies that divide us. And um, we talked about the, the need for enemy love and peacemaking and how Jesus flips that script um, for us to love our enemy and to practice um, being people of peace. Today, we're looking at the Holy Spirit and the reconciliation of all things. Like, it sounds big and theory and crazy. Um, but the Holy Spirit, so what I want to do today is just really two things. One is talk about what does it mean to experience or encounter the Holy Spirit? I think there's sometimes confusion around that or, you know, it's very ambiguous. Obviously, the Spirit's an invisible being that, you know, we used to do our catechism with our kids. Who is God? He's an invisible being not like us, right? That's, that's the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I want to talk about experience, and then I want to talk about experiencing the Spirit and then participating with the Spirit. How do we actually, like, participate with the Spirit and what the Spirit's trying to do? All right? So um, I think most of us believe good things about the Spirit. Uh, we know that the Spirit is, is a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you grew up in church, you've heard the song, The Fruit of the Spirit, or you know the Bible verses about the Fruit of the Spirit. You know, you maybe know about Pentecost in the story of Acts 2. But there's a difference between kind of knowing all the right things about the Holy Spirit and then experiencing the Spirit or participating with the Spirit. Um, our modern world is very good at management and control and developing technical skills to achieve any problem. So think about just your entire life trajectory. Like you go to school um, to become capable at your profession, right? Doctor, lawyer, mechanic, teacher, technician, leader, pastor, even pastor. If we want to manage our finances or throw a dinner party or put up drywall, we go to YouTube, we watch an expert tell us how to do it, right? And then we, we, we have someone that teaches us the necessary skill. So all this is good, and what makes our world great, like we're divine image bearers, right, like that are making good things happen. Um, but 
but rather like we don't, it's not that I don't think we want the Spirit. I, what I want to say is that I don't think we cultivate an imagination for what it looks like for our individual lives to participate and be aware of and pay attention to what God's Spirit is doing around us. So there's a downside to our technical solutionism as a society, right? There's this, in our confidence and control, we rarely look for or lean towards the Holy Spirit. And if it's not that we don't want to, it's, again, there's no imagination. So um, what does it look like to, I want to talk about a few things first of like, words that come to mind for me as I read scripture that instead of trying to do a theological talk, I, I've, could, I've done this several ways. You know, I could go through the entire Bible and show you everywhere that the Holy Spirit shows up, right? And you're like, okay, so what? I could do that. I could um, do a lot of things today, but I want to today just talk about what does the Holy Spirit feel like? Like, what is, the, what is it? When I experience the Holy Spirit, what should it be like? What should it feel like? So you kind of be like, I know it. You know, if you're, those of you that are professions at something, you kind of know it when you see it, right? If you're good at marketing, you know it when you see it. You're good at, if you're teaching a class and you see a student going through trouble, you know it when you see it, or someone who's going to excel, you know it when you see it. How do you know it when you see it, right? Uh, so that's what I want to talk about today. So all throughout the Old Testament, one of the longings of the God's people was to see God's face. So one way I want you to think about the Holy Spirit, when you know you're encountering the Holy Spirit, it feels like the, an intimate face. Um, it feels like the intimate face. Now, I think that's a great way to think about the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit makes God's presence known. Um, Gordon Fee said that the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence, and we'll get into that. But all throughout the Old Testament, they long to see God's face. So Moses let, as many of you have heard the story of Moses, he gets his people together. He isn't hearing from God. He doesn't know where to go in the wilderness. He goes to the mountain to hear from God, to sense God. And he says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, I'm not going anywhere. And so he's saying, I, I want to see your, and then he says, God, show me your face. Show me your glory, right? God says, you can't see my face, but I'm going to show you my backside. I'm going to show you kind of my, the train of my glory. And then he says, how, Moses says, how will I know you're pleased with us? So there's this inherent desire for, for being okay with God, to be in God's presence. And then all throughout the Old Testament in Psalms, there's these verses and prayers of, um, there are many, way, uh, many who say, who will show us some good? Lift, us, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. So these are the prayers of God's people. God, just show us your face. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Um, and in Psalm 27, you're, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. So all throughout the Old Testament, God's people were like, I want to see God's presence. I want to be in God's presence. I just want to belong to God. Now, if there was anybody who longed to see God's face was John the Baptist. So there was a moment of 500 years of silence. I'm going really fast. That was the Old Testament, intertestament period. Nothing, no one heard from God. And then John the Baptist is like, I just want to create a community that longs to see God's face. He gets off in the desert, and then out of that, he notices Jesus, and he says, this is the one in whom I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. Like, this is a Messiah. Jesus comes on the scene. You remember the story. He's baptized, and, and he, it says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him, right? And it said, the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. 
Do you catch that? So there's this connection between um, this desire to be pleased. Before Jesus does any ministry, God's pleased with him. And then John 1 says that the, the Bible, that um, in 15, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The word glory and face were often synonymous in the Old Testament. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You guys hanging in there with me, okay? I know I'm doing a lot of like Bible narrative right now, so just hang in there with me, okay? Um, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, right? So no one's ever seen God's face. We've been longing to see God. No one's ever really seen God. And then, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So Jesus has made God's presence known. Um, you know, geeky word. He's, he exegetes God. He, he pulls out God. He makes him known. He manifests who God is to us. Next slide. So then there's all these verses in Colossians that talk about this. In Colossians 1, and I don't know if, it, maybe I didn't put it up here, but it says that he, he the, the, the Son of God is the image of the invisible God. So now I'm going to pause there, because um, some of you are like, this is way out of my thinking today. I was just thinking like, am I going to eat like chilaquiles for breakfast, or you know, like what am I going to do for brunch? So um, I, want you, I want to say this. One thing that I think is easy for us to miss, at least myself, is, is I think of Jesus as, if, if you've been around the Bible, been around church, as kind of like he's now like the second member of the Trinity made known. But all throughout the, Old, the New Testament, it's saying that he has made known the whole being of God. The spirit, what does the Spirit look like? It looks like Jesus. What does the Father look like? It looks like Jesus. So if you want to know who God is as a whole, Jesus gives us a picture, and that's unique. Um, and so, um, so we see that now this intimate face of God uh, that, that is now in the face of this person, Jesus. Now, all kinds of stories I could share with you, but one stands out, John 8. There's this woman who's, they say, caught in adultery. Um, these Pharisees, religious leaders, they wanted to kill Jesus uh, and because he made a lot of crazy claims about um, doing a lot of amazing things, like setting free all the captives and healing all the sick and all these things that were absurd for them. And so... They wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus. So they wanted to see how Jesus would respond. And, and, and so they, they, they have this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. We don't know if that means that they came in while things were happening or wh- whatnot. Now, the interesting part of that story is where's the man in the story? He's not held accountable. Um, so that's kind of messed up. But they, they are, say, hey, Jewish law tells us to stone this woman. And Jesus, what do you say? We are all ready to stone this woman. Here, imagine this woman just weeping, hair matted um, from all the the sweat and tears and and stress of what is about to happen. Um, Here comes this other person, this other figure in the midst of this conflict where they're about to take out all of their justice um, in their own hands on her. And and here's Jesus. And what is going to happen? Is he going to be on their side or, or something else? Jesus begins to doodle in the sand. We don't know what he writes, right? Is he just like writing the Ten Commandments? Is he just doing nothing just to kind of aim, like, create a distraction? And he says to them, you who have, sin, have not sinned, why don't you throw the first pitch? Why don't you throw the first stone? And the woman is there feeling like, this is it, I'm over, and she begins to hear the redemptive thuds of rocks hitting the ground one by one. And she looks up into Jesus' face, which she doesn't realize is the face of God. She looks at God's face, And he says, go and live your life. 
So what, what does the Spirit feel like when we encounter him? It is experiencing the like unadulterated love of God. That when you experience the love of God in, an, in a way that feels pure, um, that is when you know the Spirit's presence is there. Now, a lot of, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we can kind of think of certain tribes of Christianity that feel like they almost have a trademark on the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, and we, we believe in all the gifts of the Spirit here at Missio Dei. But we also believe the Holy Spirit can show up in all kinds of ways, right? And the Spirit can show up in every tradition, every, every way. It doesn't even have to be in church. Usually it's not. Um, and God, Jesus says very specifically, uh, my presence is especially present with the poor. And that's why I think this metaphor of face is so important. Because he, Jesus said, hey, you know, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. And they said, well, when did we see you without clothes, Jesus? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you hungry? He says, whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. So scripture teaches that God's presence is with the poor in a special way. So when you stare at, at someone's face in need, Jesus is in that moment. He's, the spirit is in that moment, and you feel it. I don't know about you, but I feel it. I feel, feel God's presence there in a special way. Um, and so, um, but for you specifically, the non-condemning love of God, when you experience, when, when God's spirit shows up, it's not power. When someone experiences God's spirit, it's not always power and things are dramatically changing. It's feeling so loved feeling built up in all of God's love, that's when you know you've encountered the Holy Spirit. Um, so not only is it just experiencing this, this non-condemning love, but when we speak of doing ministry that requires the Spirit, like praying or listening on others' behalf, the whole point when we pray with people is that they, the, what would be revealed is the non-condemning love of God, like the pure love of God like this. Um, and then later in this uh, passage, Jesus says in John 15, I'm going to send you another helper. I'm going to go away, and I'm going to send you another kind of me. Now, in Greek, there's two different words for another kind. There's like another of a different kind, and then there's another of the same kind. And it's interesting that Jesus says, I'm going to send you another of the same kind of me. So it's kind of interesting. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is like portable Jesus, right? Like... Portable Jesus with you. Right? And so the Holy Spirit being given to us is far greater than Jesus being physically here with us right now. I used to wish Jesus was with me. I remember being in college, being like, man, I wish Jesus was here. Like, all my professors wouldn't see, like, this guy, you know. But I think it would kind of be weird, though, you know, to have Jesus around all the time. You know, Jesus, you're like, hey, Jesus, we'd be my accountability partner. Like, Hey, yeah, what happened? Well, you know, this week's been horrible. How about you, Jesus? Like, I got nothing. And he's just like, I'm good, I'm good. You know, like, like we, we think Jesus being here with us would be better, but Jesus knows that giving us his spirit is far, far greater. And in fact, in John 17, he says, you will do greater works with the spirit than you will ever do. Now, greater works, people debate, is that quality? Is that quantity? Well, quality, I don't think it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's quality. I don't, I've never raised anybody from the dead. I don't think I'm going to be able to. Um, not going to happen, okay? So quantity makes more sense, probably. Like, there's more of us, more, more people, more people got spirit. Going to do greater things. Whatever it means, greater doesn't mean lesser, okay? I went to seminary for three years just to figure that out. You know, just hard brain science. Greater doesn't mean lesser. So the Spirit has been given to us so that we would do greater things, so we could participate in the Spirit. 
I'm going to get into that in a minute. Um, and so uh, it's a participating with the Spirit. So what does that mean? So we've kind of gone over the Holy Spirit feeling like a couple of things. It feels like the unadulterated love of God. It feels like the face of God. Um, thirdly, I would say it feels like um, the, the, the kind of like a, a, a wave. It feels like a wave. Um, I've got a friend that surfs in Venice, California. He was in my college ministry, and um, he, he, it's fun to talk to him. You know, there's all these different names for waves, all these kind of barrel wave, double wave. I don't know. There's all these, like, slang names for waves. And, uh, you know, what's beautiful about waves is there's always another, right? If you don't catch the wave, there's always another wave. And that's what's beautiful about God's presence. If you're in your life right now and you're like, I haven't really paid attention to God's presence. I haven't really cared about who God is lately and been kind of distracted on a lot of other things, living the American dream, thinking about retirement, how am I going to provide, yada, yada. There's always another wave. You know, you may be in your first wave of life, and you're like, I didn't really think much about God. Now you're like, second wave of life, there's a whole other wave. There's always more grace and time to experience God's presence. Um, and not only just in terms of those big waves, I would say there's also the wave metaphor is kind of the way the Spirit is, is, works. It's not, um, you know, cut and dry, formulaic. Um, there's a, there, the person who illustrates this really good for me is um, a couple of things. Um, one is Desmond Tutu. Um, he once talked about contemplation, which is one of the practices we believe we can really pay attention to the Spirit, is about contemplative prayer. And he says that if the government knew how subversive contemplation is, they would ban it. If they, if they knew how, and that resonates with me because when we are able to face our own personal illusions of control, when we become able to unmask that illusion that we have control, we have control around us, contemplative prayer aids in living in the truth about ourselves and revealing the lies and the idols of the age that we're living in. And if we spend enough time in God's presence, God is going to bring these things to surface. And not only that, um, there's an artist named John Batiste. Uh, he was, uh, I think, like part of the band for Steve Colbert, and uh, he's just like a happy guy. Like he's just like a very joy. He's like, I just want the world to be joyful, right? He does. Um, I think he wrote uh, the music for Soul, uh, the animation film, and uh, he was recently. Um, he also is doing these things called joy riots. Next slide, where he or love riots, where they're just going around spreading love, spreading joy in, in spaces that, that are filled with tension and violence. And he was interviewed, um, and the interviewer interviewed him, and he says, how are you so productive? And he says, it's interesting that you call it productive. He says, I don't separate my life, uh, my life from my creative practice, from my connection to the creator, so it's not necessarily that I'm productive, it's more about a flow state. All right? And so... Um, and they, what is flow state? How do I get it? Is it work-life balance? Is it a routine? How do I do it? What's the formula? You can't routine your way into it. In my faith and in the black church, we call it the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, it's something that strikes you like, oh my goodness, and all you can do is be in service to it. I love that. That that's, this, the, the Holy Spirit kind of changes us in two ways. There is these aha breakthrough moments where you experience God in the wave. And then there's these process moments where it just it takes time, and it's a constant in and out of that flow state, knowing when you're aware of it. 
And once you discover it, all you can do is be in service to it. And that leads me to the kind of second point of the sermon is participation with the Spirit. How do we actually participate with what God's doing? How do we be in service to the Spirit? How do we be in service to God's presence in the reconciliation of all things that we talked about um, often at Missio Dei? Um, Well, I think, one, we have to do what Jesus did. I am God's beloved child in whom I'm well pleased, right? If you can receive that experience with God every day and, and regularly, you, you, your performance no longer defines you. Your, what people say about you can't shake you. And, and what, you, who you, what you do with your life is not where you get your value. It's, it's in, in God. And then the second quote I would think of is not just Jesus, but atheist Pablo Picasso, who said this. He says, the, the purpose of life is to discover one's gift. And the meaning of life is to give it away. And that's what John Batiste is getting at. I'm in service to this gift of the Spirit, and my prayer for you is that you would not only listen to God, but discover your gift to this world, that you are a gift to this world. Not what you do in your job, not your profession, you and your essence of who you are in God's image is a gift. And there's uniqueness to that. But then to give it away. And then the third part I would add is to surround yourself with a community that holds you accountable to give it away. That's the part we're missing in our society. Do you have people around you that will ensure that you're giving your gift away? Because if we don't, there's a whole nother flow state that's competing for our attention, competing for our, our affection, competing for what we, who we are become. Um, I think of what's going on in the world today and this concept of joining God and renewal of all things. I think of Micah 4.3 that says this, that said in Micah 4, God will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes from strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Now, when Jesus came on the scene, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to do what? To preach good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedoms for the prisoners, recover sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free. And then it says he he rolled up the scroll, that he he did this in the middle of a synagogue like this, and and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That's like an old school mic drop, just like, boom, like, I'm going to do this. And he says, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing today. Boom, mic drop. And so no wonder they wanted to kill Jesus. And if you're an educated Jew and this rabbi walks in and reads this way, this is why it's like, oh, it's on. We're coming after you. That's why they wanted to stone him. You see, Jesus isn't just saving souls. He's making all things new. In Revelation 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a holy city. All throughout, it describes that when heaven comes it's going it's to look like a city, not a garden, way again in the beginning, but a city, the new Jerusalem coming down. All this language, new temple, I could go, I have like a whole chapter I was going to read, but for a second time, just know that in the end, there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. We will be with God and we will be in a holy city. Now, why? what's the difference between a city and a garden? There's things that we have made with our hands that is there in the city. And what he's saying in that Micah, what Micah is saying is, you know, those aren't things we use, swords and plowshares. He's saying there's these raw materials that are accessible to you, and you can make them into weapons of destruction, or you can make them into, weapon, uh, into tools of uh, instruments of peace. 
And he's saying, you, you can, what I want you to do is take the things you've, the raw materials, the way you've used them, your own influence, your money, all that you have, your gifts. How have you used those? I want to ask you two questions. What is your sword and what is your plowshare? Your, what, is, what are the raw things in your life? Your talent, your resources, your money, your home, your gifts. What are the ways you've used those for harm? accidentally or intentionally? And how can you use them for God's glory? Now, this wouldn't have like popped with meaning for, for us, but it popped for meaning them. Swords and plowshares were everyday things. Don't remove yourself from kind of the war mentality. I, I don't think anybody here like brought a sword in today, you know, hanging out. I hope not. Um, and uh, very few people know what a plowshare is. Um, but let me give you another image. This comes from the graffiti artist named Banksy. Do you know the story? So Banksy would subvertively go into towns in the middle of the night and put up graffiti messages all over town. Ironically, probably the reason I thought of this, is this very image, his most famous image, is on the West Bank barrier dividing Israel and Palestine and Bethlehem, right outside of Bethlehem. So this wall, we know this wall exists, shouldn't exist between these two people. And Banksy is trying to send a message. He peppered the night with 12 different images that night. And this is the one that stood out the most. And he call, we, we call it the flower thrower. And it doesn't need much explanation. In the right hand, you see it would have been a Molotov cocktail that we talked about last week with Martin Luther King Jr. in the M Montgomery... Um, place when they almost burned the church down with people inside. They would have thrown these Molotov cocktails. He's got a picture of someone who's about to throw a Molotov cocktail in their hand. They would have thrown that to destroy a car. They would have thrown it to destroy a family, a baby, a woman. They would have destroyed things as they are right now. And this is a weapon intended of warfare, and instead he puts a bouquet of flowers in it. The raw materials God has provided... And how do we take what's in our hands? You see, the same materials that were used to build the wood and the iron for the, for the sword are the same materials to build the plowshare. They're not different materials. He, he, the metaphor, he didn't say, hey, take your, your swords and turn them into bread baskets. Did you see that? Like he didn't, he's talking about take the same raw materials that God has given you and use them for good. And so what's interesting to me is how are you tempted that's what I want to end with is how are you tempted to use the raw materials in your life in ways that are more egocentric or, more, or maybe cause harm incidentally and you don't realize it? And how can God take those things in your hands and point them to an imagination of God's community? For me, an example of this would be community. When I was in college, when I was in high school, I longed for community. I loved hanging out with everybody. But it didn't come out of a place of fullness. It came from a place of emptiness that I needed it for me. I needed the affirmation. And it wasn't until Jesus restored me and restored my relationship with God that I was able to take my raw desire for community and build community for his kingdom, to create communities that love one another. So what is your sword and what is your plowshare? Some of you are like, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not a pastor. You know what? Who cares? <laughs> Pastors are not going to change the world. <laughs> It's God's people that are going to change the world like you. And when he the Holy Spirit takes your raw talents 
and you use them for God's glory, piece by piece, niche by niche, you're going to restore the world. Man, with this last quote, Damon, you can come up. N.T. Wright, just kind of give you like a, a broader picture of what this feels like. N.T. Wright says, Every act of love, gratitude and kindness, every work of art or music, inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, for one's fellow human beings, and of course every prayer, all deeds to spread the good news, to build up the church, embrace and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation, that holy city. What you're doing now is going to find its way into the new creation, into the holy city one day, And that is the logic of God's mission. So every one of us has a part to play in this participation of the Spirit. That's what God does. If you're like, oh, I'm broken. He loves taking broken things and making them beautiful. There was wood and there was iron of a different sort. And there was humanity that decided to take the wood and make it into a cross. And they took the iron and they turned it into nails and became the worst form of human excruciating instrument of humiliation and torture called the cross. And through God's power, he turned that into a gift to the world. So you don't just bring your your skills, your talents, right? In this moment, you bring your brokenness, you bring your weakness, and God uses that too. Let's pray. God, would you grant us... um, just an encounter of you. May you, for some of us that feel um, maybe guilt in this space, maybe just going into a church feels like, maybe you entered the building and your hands started to get sweaty just because you're entering into a religious space. Maybe there's this sense of assuming God's face is displeased with you. May you experience today the smile of God upon your life. That God comes not just where he's wanted, but comes to those that are walking away or indifferent. He comes to you. He loves you. He says, get up and live your life. May you also experience just the the unadulterated love of God this morning for you. May you remember that you are God's child and whom he's well pleased. And then for some, maybe what is your sword and what is your plowshare? What is the the things in your life that you're like, God, I want you to breathe your spirit on this so I can use it for your glory. I'm tired of doing it for myself. I know there's this ego in me that I want to lose and I want to give back the gift that I have to this world. And I want to surround myself with a community that will ensure that I give my gift away. Jesus, would you do your work here? May your spirit come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.